Good evening, TC. How many guys, how are you guys doing tonight? Oh, that was terrible. All right, so we're just going to try that one more time. How are you guys doing tonight? All right, that was good enough for my acceptance. Okay, so uh, we're going to jump straight into what we have for tonight. I don't think I'm going to talk for 55 minutes, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it'll be me and you. All right, everyone else will leave. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get your Bibles out. Uh, if you haven't been here on a first Wednesday, uh, you guys know we're, we're going to go straight into the Word and we're going to sit there for a little while. So uh, we're in Acts chapter 8 tonight, so go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8. Uh, get out your phone if you're using that. Hopefully you brought your paper Bible. If not, bring it next first Wednesday. Okay, so to catch you guys up, if you haven't been here or maybe you've forgotten uh, on what we've been talking about uh, on First Wednesdays, we've been navigating through the book of Acts, and so uh, we've done Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Tonight we're dealing with 8, and so just to catch up, chapter 2 of Acts is the upper room, right? And so the Holy Spirit falls, Peter preaches, of course it would be Peter, right? Uh, Chapter 3, Peter and John heal the lame beggar. Chapter 4, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, you're noticing a pattern. If someone's getting in trouble, Peter's involved. Uh, Chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, finally the heat's off of Peter because those cats were dropping dead, all right? So, um, and then chapter 6 is the choosing of the seven, Um, and then we see in chapter 6, if you look at last month, if you remember, we also talk about how the church is supposed to respond to when God shows up, Uh, and so that the church should look different than the world, and we should act different than the world. Um, And then in chapter 7, we looked at Stephen and his speech before the Sanhedrin. Um, And so we kind of, last month, we looked at the church's response and then our personal response to God showing up in our lives. So God shows up in our life, chapter 6, and there's a corporate response to what that looks like. So the church looks like this, and we should collectively respond like this. But then we also see in chapter 7, which is Stephen before the Sanhedrin, is does our life reflect God enough uh, that in our speech, our dialect, and our action, that's what we can pull out of that. But we're also just seeing that Stephen um, is about to be martyred for his faith, all right? And that's where we end chapter 7, which is Stephen dying for his faith, all right? And so um, I don't know if you've read your Bible lately, um, but, you know, God calling someone to something oftentimes means it may hurt a little bit. Just in case, okay, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, like, brings a whole new meaning to, like, choose me, right? So, um, like, we're all like, God, I just want to be used. And then he uses us. And we're like, I just feel so used, right? So, um, and so, yeah, so we pick up in chapter 8, and that's what we're going to deal with tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. I just pray that you would, God, pull truth out of your word tonight, that uh, it is you that would speak. I pray that we would see uh, and continue to see that, God, you have woven beautiful truths and realities throughout your scripture. These are not stories. They're not merely stories that we read. But, God, in them is woven and, and brought to light truths that you desire that we would know. And I pray that we would gr- let those grip our hearts tonight, that they would change us, and that we would leave here different. We thank you tonight and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go. Uh, if this is your first Wednesday night... We're going to read a little, preach a little, read a little, preach a little, and and we're just going to move all the way through Acts chapter 8. So this is a little different than Sundays for us, which is usually like points and stuff. This is just like grind, all right? So we're going to lift heavy. All right. And Saul approved of his execution. Great. Okay, so 
out of the gate. I hope that's comforting for you. All right, so Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. Say ravaging. And in entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So like out the gate, Acts chapter 8 is just a lot of fun. All right. But the, the thing that I want you to understand kind of just as we're, as we're stepping into Acts chapter 8 is this reality that persecution always leads to more persecution. And so Stephen dies, and that would be enough. But how many of you know that the enemy is always strategic in his mission towards us? So like the Bible's clear that he's out like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. All right. So that his mission is to steal, kill and destroy. So so we know that. Right. I think sometimes what we don't realize is how strategic the enemy really is when he's coming after us. I remember my dad told me one time he's dumb, but he's not stupid. And I was like. It took me a second. But what he meant by that was he's dumb because he has to know he loses because he knows the word as well as anybody. But he's he's not stupid in that he's very strategic when he comes for you and I. And you notice how. He waited till Stephen was martyred to start to set into tone this mission of persecution in the church. And it starts to highlight in the same region at one time. And for many of us, here how, here's how I believe that we respond to things in our life that we don't like. When one thing goes wrong, we're like, man, that's really, really unfortunate. But then, how many of you know, layers upon layers start to fall apart for us. Right, like, how, how about any of you ever heard the phrase, it, when it rains, it pours? And it poured today in Jesus' name. Okay, like uh, Noah's Ark flood. I was like, did someone order acacia wood? I don't know. Like, okay, so, but when it rains, it pours. And here's how many of us miss out on what God is trying to show us and what we, some of just what we can pull out of the gate is that the enemy is usually strategic in his plans against us the same way God is strategic in his plans for us. God aims to do something. The enemy aims to stop something. And so I want to encourage you with this word, don't ever get shocked when you get layer upon layer of trial in your life, because that means the enemy's at work. But here's the beautiful part, are you ready? If the enemy's at work, that means he's trying to stop the thing that God's at work in. And so don't be shocked when you experience layers of pain, suffering, etc. It just kind of feels like, man, when am I going to get a break from all of this? But I want you to be encouraged. When the enemy is up to something, that means God is up to something too. And so we go back. So the layers of impact of his evil trying to get Christians to quit. So, And, and I want to just highlight something briefly. I'm not going to camp out long on this, but I just feel like we have to. Like there's real persecution happening in Acts chapter 8. Hear me. Real persecution. Like, I, like I, want, I just want to help you guys. Don't confuse inconveniences with persecutions. Like, we have to come to this gripping, re- like, like persecution in the American church is completely different than persecution in any other church in the world. 
Like, so, so we, like, we complain about small inconveniences and call them persecutions when they are not. Our brothers and sisters in Iran are losing their head for their faith. And hear me, we're trying to figure out if Christians can wear masks or not. Well, I don't know, because if you, if you do, and it's like, guys, like, I, I love what Matt Chandler said. He's teaching out of Revelation uh, recently. And he was like, he was reading the part in the book of Revelation where it talked about how Christians showed up as warriors. And he was like, I love how people are like, oh, I would show up on the battlefield for God. And it's like, I have doubts. Because <laughs> I've seen some of your Facebook pages when it comes to stuff that don't really matter. So I have doubts. And li- listen, this is not my attempt to be political because most of you don't know where I stand on any of that. What I'm trying to encourage you with is if the, if the message of the gospel in your mouth has been silenced because you're talking too much about a vaccine, you missed it. And so we need to get back in line with what real persecution looks like and what our mission is in the midst of it. And so we need to understand. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, hear, hear me. I, I want you to grab a hold of this. Those that were scattered, say scattered. So persecution sets in, they get scattered, all right? But when they get scattered, they don't get scatterbrained. So they remember the mission even though the location for the mission changed. Persecution sets in, God gives them peace to move, but even in their movement, it doesn't move their mission, it moves their location. So as they're navigating, God, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to do? How do you want me to do that? As they're moving through, the mission hasn't changed, just the place that they're doing it changed. And for many of us, when our location shifts, we put down our mission. God, I don't know how this is going to work at this new job, so let me just take a step back. No, 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 no. The mission hasn't changed. And I just want to be honest with you, from the book of Acts to today, the mission hasn't changed. Go and make disciples of all nations and declare the gospel, well, vice versa. But nonetheless, right? And so we should be challenged to, to move forward with what God has put in front of us. So even if the location changes, the mission has not. The gospel and the word is what people need right now. Say right now. The gospel and the word is what people need right now. They were scattered and they went about preaching the word. And hear me, it's what we need right now in the midst of confusion, worry, fear, uncertainty. Hear me, they don't need your CDC post. They don't need a photo of the current ICU status. And they don't need your current Fox News update. They need the word of God that challenges every principality of darkness. And I'm not saying you can't look at those things. I'm saying if that is your message, then you put down the real message for the one that the enemy wants you holding. I'm not saying you can't care about it. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying you should be ignorant of the current times. I'm not saying you shouldn't look at those things and pray about what God wants you to do as you navigate this uh, coronavirus. And I'm not saying any, I'm not saying you don't pay attention. I'm saying if that message replaces the message then you have been silenced by the enemy and you have been fooled into thinking that you're an active Christian when you're a passive onlooker. And so we need to change what is showing up in the avenues of our lives. Hear me. There has always been, every 50 years, something that wrecks the world and grabs a hold of it from a scientific standpoint. 
We've seen it happen over and over again. But there's something that never changes. And that's what people need. I mean, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I mean, you go back to Philippians 4 that we're using on in the climb series right now, right? It says this, do not be anxious about anything. I'm not going to lie to you, that's been hard for me lately. Because this is something we do have to take serious. Again, I'm not telling you to be ignorant. I'm telling you to be careful what your message is. So don't be anxious about anything. All right. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So not to all of the people on your social media accounts. To God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I believe for many of us, we haven't gone to God with any of this. We've just heard the noise. Now, I don't believe that when they wrote the book of Acts chapter 8, they were looking at coronavirus. But I think this is something we can pull out of it for our current affair, which is, that we see what happens, like persecution comes, but even in the midst of pain, difficulty, uncertainty, heartache, the mission remains. And we need to become more committed to the mission than we are to our current message. So let's keep going. I put this, I wrote this down. I was going to skip it, but y'all know me. I just can't do that. I wrote this down. We need the peace of God, not the opinions of the ignorant. We need the peace of God, not the opinions of the ignorant. And when I say ignorant, I don't mean that to sound offensive. Like, I mean, kind of, anyway. But I, I'm not trying to, like, be intentionally in jab. But we have a lot of people, and thanks to social media, we have a lot of people who are experts on nothing speaking about everything. And this is what I told my wife the other day. We were having a conversation just about what our future looks like and decisions we have to make for our family in regards to this. Because, again... I'm not telling you to be ignorant or pretend it doesn't exist. I'm telling you we got to watch our message. And here's what I told her. I said, it's funny because when I get online, I'm listening to all the people that I would not take their opinion on what restaurant to eat at, what movie to watch, what music to listen to, but I'm letting their opinion sway me on what I should do for my health. If every time they post something, you smile and think to yourself, this person's pretty dumb, then I probably wouldn't put much vested in interest into what they think about what you should do with the current events. Listen, God has those answers for you. And with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to him and let him give you peace about the direction you should go. Okay, so I'm not telling you to do this or do this. That's not my job. My job is to make sure you're connected to God in every avenue that you choose. All right. So let's keep going. Acts 8, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him, they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits were crying out with a loud voice. It came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Hear me. I believe that when Christians show up, there should be joy where they show up. Like, we all know Christians that when they show up, people are like, oh, God. And if you don't know anyone like that, 
I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I had to borrow that from Sunday. All right, so, but like, the, man, when we, when we show up, like, are people joyous that we're here now? Like, I want you to think about it. I don't know if you had this experience. When I was a kid, I used to have, like, night, I wouldn't call them night terrors, but I would just have, like, I didn't like the dark, you know what I'm saying? And so, like, that, finally, I, like, I dealt with that around 31 and 32, but I'm just kidding. But, but I, I remember having, like, these, like, terrors, you know, just being afraid of the dark. And so I would go get my dad, and I was like, Dad, can you just come sit in the room until I fall asleep? And, like, let's be real. If there was an eight-foot-tall monster in my closet, ain't neither one of us going to do nothing about it. <laughs> like, we, right? But there was, like, this level of certainty that came because someone that I thought was more powerful showed up. Like, someone who I felt had authority showed up. And, it, and I don't know that, it's like, I don't know what he would have done either. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Glock 17 might change some of that. I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. But what I know is my room felt different when he was there. And my encouragement to you today is to remember that the room should feel different when you're there. Like you carry something with you that's different than the world has. So hope should walk in the door with you. Joy should walk in the door with you. Peace should walk in the door with you. I don't know what's going to happen here, but I know who holds the situation. And so we're going to believe together. I, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I know who holds the outcome. And so we're going to believe this together. And we should gain, gain great confidence in the fact that we don't know all of this, but we know who holds all of it. And so since we're connected to God, something should change when we walk in the room. And we should have great confidence in that. So there's joy is there. So let's keep going in verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. Saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he was preaching good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So I want to pause for a second because I want you to understand something. First and foremost, uh, even those that are faking it, can't keep up with you guys that really have it. So like, how many of you know the world has an artificial joy, but we got the real thing? Well, at least we should. We all know Christians that I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if you have it, right? So like Sister Sandpaper, rubbing everybody the wrong way, right? Well, it's like, like I, I literally was with a group of Christians the other day. Uh, most of them don't go to our church, thank God. I still would have done it, but I, did, I didn't. But I was, uh, and they're, like we were talking and they're like, I just wish that our church just had the joy of the Lord. And I'm looking at this brother like, like I wanted to pull a mirror out and be like, sir, you don't have the joy of the Lord. Like, but we all like, man, there should be something different in us. And the world will always have an artificial version of what we know we should have. And so like things should be different when we're there. And so we, there should be a different kind of power, different kind of joy. What the world has that's artificial, we should have something that's real. And so we see that, and then in verse 10, I want you to go back to verse 10, because I want you to see 
what they were saying. So this, these are the people. They all paid attention to him. So him, uh, talking about Simon, the magician, okay? So they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. I want to encourage you with something that we as Christians realize that we should be careful what we chase after. Uh, oftentimes, particularly now, and I, and I feel like this has resurfaced and it's, gotten, it's getting worse again. So I feel like it got really bad and then it kind of chilled out for a while. And I can feel like we're on this resurgence again where people know how to say godly things, but they don't have the God that they're, saying, they're talking about. And we have heretics showing up in pulpits. And we've always had that, but now YouTube is making them famous. And we should be really careful what we're digesting as believers. We need to know, appreciate, and understand truth when we see it versus false doctrine when we see it. We have a responsibility to ourselves to know whether or not something is true or whether it's just like the Bible talks about having the appearance of godliness but not knowing the power that's within and, and I, we need to put ourselves in that place because here's the thing I want you to understand. I was in, uh, this has probably been three years ago, I was at a conference and uh, they were, the guy was up there talking on the microphone and the band's going crazy and people worshiping and it really was good. It was a good, like, good night, like everything was good. And so nothing crazy had shown up yet, yet. And so he's up there and he starts, he starts praying to angels so he's saying, we're summoning the angels of whatever. And I was like, mm, I don't think that's how that works. And then, and then he said, God, show us your manifestation through signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, on the surface, that doesn't sound that bad, right? Like, when God shows up, sometimes signs, wonders, and miracles do accompany the presence of God. Here's my curiosity. Are we looking for God at that point, or are we just looking for things from God? Since when have we made it to where the presence of God is measured by the actions that we call godly? Now, here's the reason why I feel like this is dangerous. Because Simon the magician was doing some dope stuff. And the people in the town were like, this is the power of God called great. Like, in their mind, this is it. God's power is here. Little did they know, he had power, but it wasn't the power from God. And if you're going to have supernatural power and it's not from God. And this is what, when I was at that conference, I was sitting next to a friend of mine. And I said, hey, I think we should probably go. Right? I was like, I don't know what's about to pop off in here. But I was like, you know, I, was, I said, we should probably go. And he said, yeah. And uh, he was kind of on the same wavelength. I was like, let's go. And so we left, and some friends of ours caught up afterwards. They're like, why did you guys leave? And we're like, well, it started getting a little weird. So um, we decided we were going to head out. And, and they're like, what, 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 what was the weird part? And I was like, y'all didn't, you know, you didn't. So the summoning of angels thing didn't ca- Okay. And then the signs, wonders, and miracles. Like, so I was, in, I was, then I was second guessing my friend. I was like, I don't even know if you know who God is. I don't know. Like if you, so, but here's what I told him. I was like, man, the signs, wonders thing. I said, when we start chasing that, we're not chasing God anymore. And I really feel like we need to be careful of that because it's such a fine line, right? 
to go after God and be praying for him to do something miraculous and he does it is one thing. To go to God, not for God, but just so that he would do the thing you want him to do. Now it's not about him at all. It's about what you want. So we were walking through that and uh, I said, here's the problem. I said, if we're only looking for signs, wonders, and miracles, Pharaoh's magicians would have got our attention too. Because they were doing stuff also. Turn it into a snake, pick it up as a stick again. They turned it into a snake, picked it up as a stick again. I genuinely believe, particularly in charismatic slash Pentecostal circles, that Pharaoh's magicians could run a whole camp meeting for them and they wouldn't know the difference between when God showed up and when the magician showed up. And I are one. Okay, so charismatic, toot toot, okay. But I believe we have lost track of what we're supposed to be looking for when we're paying attention to God. And here's where I feel like this starts to break down for us and then we'll move on. And I feel like this is really settled in in Western Christianity more than it has anywhere else. And it's a, it's a bad eschatology when it comes to our discipleship. Now let me break those words down for you real quick. Eschatology being the study and the understanding of the end times. So what's going to happen when we go to heaven, right? So it's the study of knowing what's coming at the end of all of this. And discipleship being the process in which we become like Christ right now. So in our process of becoming like Christ, I feel like we've neglected an understanding of what eternity is supposed to look like. And since we've neglected our understanding of what eternity is supposed to look like, we've tried to create eternity on earth. And we're no longer worshiping God, we're just worshiping what God can give us here. But true understanding of the gospel and true understanding of discipleship and true understanding of what Jesus came to do was not to give you the greatest life you could have right here. It was to give you the assurance of what is to come. That after this life, listen, I'm not telling you, maybe things go good for you here. If you have some jet skis, call me. I want to go. I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm whatever, you know? Like, but our confidence must be in what is after this whole life. We should be anxiously awaiting, like the Bible says, a woman with birth pains, Groaning and waiting for what's coming at the end of all of this, which is the moment we step into eternity where there will never be another tear that is cried because our assurance is it's over there. And as long as we're trying to get God in all of his manifest glory here, we have no reason to be anxious about that over there. And so we have to change our understanding of discipleship and start looking forward. When people come to me and Ashley and they say, how do, you, how do you keep going? Your son has passed away. You've been through so much. My answer to them is my eyes are not fixed on what's in front of me. It's out there. So how do I keep, does, do we cry? Yes. Does it hurt? Absolutely. Are we frustrated? Do we get angry? Absolutely. We experience all of those emotions, but I never let them stop us because we're going to put our eyes out there where glory waits for us all. And it, it doesn't get rid of the pain here, but it lessens the weight of what we feel so that we can push through it to keep going with the message, keeping on mission until we get to the place we're going to end up. And so let us 
find great confidence in where we're going, not just trying to experience the fullness of God here. Listen, go after God. If he, any charismatic teachings that man tells you that God can show up this way, this way here, he is God. He can show up however he wants to. He is not confined by our limited understanding of his presence. What I'm saying is stop trying to create heaven on earth because heaven waits for us. And so we should be looking forward to that day. Let's keep going. Verses 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. I wonder if there could have been like a draft. I'm saying like, we'll take John. We'll let y'all keep Peter. All right, we're not, you know, we don't really, that knucklehead. Anyway, so. Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. So this is the magician again. Offer them money saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So that was a lot, but so Simon's like, that's dope. I would like to be able to do that. Pray for people that receive the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some money and you can give me the ability to do that. And Peter's like, you missed it. And we go back to verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And, and, and before we get like too far away from this, I do want you to know that it's one thing to believe in Jesus. It's one thing to be empowered by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And I believe that for many of us, we have settled for the message of Jesus, but we have not pursued the power. When I say power, I'm not talking about the power to perform miracles, going backwards is what we were talking about. I'm not going to have the power to have the joy when, the, when you walk in the room that everyone else can't be joyful in. I'm not going the power to speak life, not because you can speak life into existence, but you can speak life into people who are lifeless and let the Spirit of God show up and bring life to them. So I'm, I, I, I want you to understand, I believe for some of us, we have come to Jesus, we're grateful that he saved us, we're going to heaven, and we're really like, we're... Just hanging on till Jesus comes. But I do want you to understand that there is a power that many of us have yet to tap into. Because we've received the message of the gospel, but we haven't conformed our life and started pursuing the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's one thing to follow somebody. It's another thing to have the Holy Spirit dwelling and active inside of us. And so my encouragement to you is that you pray, make part of your prayer life that the Holy Spirit will become more active in your life. So it's not just the gospel in Jesus that has saved us, and it's not just the Holy Spirit that brought us to life in faith, 
but now he's also walking with us and empowering us in this life. So I do think we need to understand that that's there. The next thing I want to unpack for a second, going to verse 21, Peter looked at Simon, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. And essentially what he's telling Simon is, you don't just wish to wield the power, you want to have the authority. Like you don't just want to be able to lay hands on people, you want to be identified as the one who lays the hands. You're not just interested in the miracle, you're interested in the title, is what he's saying. And Peter looks at him and says, the reason you won't get this is because, not just because you want to wield it and you're trying to pay for it, it's because you want to take the power away from the one who's giving it. It's not just his desire to perform miracles, it's to his desire to be famous and known for it. And so he's looking and he said, I, want, I don't just want to wield the power, but I want the authority. And so we've got that going on. And so Peter's like, no, God will be the only one that gets the glory out of the things that happen in people. And so he starts off with that. But then he goes back and he says, talk, uh, Peter, it's not right uh, as a measurement. And so he says, your heart is not right before God. And as I was pulling this apart and I was doing all my studies with my Logos Bible software and opening my commentaries and all the cool stuff, uh, something popped up that I was like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't even, I didn't even think about this. Because when you read your heart is not right, what do you naturally think of? Right being a standard of measurement, and you haven't gotten to the standard. Is that, that's what I thought. I don't know if you got, like, so there is what is right, and you are not what is right, therefore you have not met the standard, therefore you can't partake. Does that make sense? So you're not right. But as I was unpacking it, what it actually meant, it's not right as a measurement, it's right as an alignment. So it's not your, your heart's not right as in you hadn't got to the person you need to be to be able to receive this. What Peter was saying is you're not even on the same trajectory you need to be on to receive this. You're, not, you're, you're going in the opposite direction. You've confessed, you've been baptized, but you're going in a different direction than where God is trying to take us. Like what it's going to take for you to be part of this, you've got to have your heart set over here. And I'm inviting you back to that eschatological space. You're not, for many of us, we're trying to walk in the power, but our mind isn't even in the right. It's not that we're not right in measurement. For many of us, we're not right in alignment. And so making that part of our prayer life, God, God, align my heart with you. I don't just want to know about you. I want to know you. And I don't just want to know you as in like I know Troy Aikman exists, but I've never met him before. Or for some of y'all, two or whatever, whatever. Like I know this person exists, but I don't know him. What would it mean to have our hearts right with God in that we are in alignment and in pursuit of him? And that's what Peter was saying when he's looking at this guy. How many of us? Know the words to say, to convince the world we're godly, but if we were to come face to face with someone, we may have our hearts exposed. Like Simon comes face to face with Peter, and to everyone else, they're like, man, Simon's the dude. 
And then Simon comes face to face with Peter and John, and he gets exposed. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. That's a fear that constantly I, I thank God for it because it keeps me on my knees before him. And it never lets me get arrogant in my faith, nor what I'm doing here. Where I'm like, God, I don't ever want to get to a place where I'm doing this out of my own willpower and not because your presence is carrying me. And more importantly, I don't want to stand before somebody one day and, and get exposed in the reality of my weaknesses. Because we all have them. And so, God, I'm going to always posture myself before you in complete awe and wonder that this is what you have chosen me to do. And because my heart is right, I have confidence that he'll continue to carry me as a pastor and us as a church. But again, it's, I can't tell you it's always right as a measurement because how many of y'all know we all got some stuff going on? That McFlurry machine still broken. So I still got an anger problem. No, I'm just kidding. Well, but anyways, no. We, we don't all measure up every day, do we? We all got some problems, right? How many of y'all got some shortcomings? Y'all got some issues you're still dealing with? All right? The rest of you, you're lying. And so there you have it. No, I'm just kidding. So we all have... The measurement of right varies each day. But the direction of right doesn't have to. When you fall short one day, fall short, falling flat on your face in the direction of God. And you'll know you're still going right. So it's, it's about the way in which we go. Verse, and then it jumps down to verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And I think this is important because it exposes what we were just talking about. Notice Peter didn't say uh, that the actions of your life would be forgiven. What does it say? The intent of your heart. And hear me, I think we can get really good at fooling people but God knows what's in here. And Peter went past Simon's words and he spoke to the real problem. It's right there, buddy. We need to, we need to deal with this. I pray that God would forgive the intent of your heart, not just your actions. And this, this is something Pastor Dan and I were just talking about this past week because you know, uh, as pastors, we navigate and we help people walk through lots of different things in life. And going through trials, hurts, and circumstances, and situations. And we have a few people that we're talking with right now and just trying to help them through seasons where, where they've fallen and they're, they're hurting. And, and they've messed up. They've blown it. They've made bad decisions. They're whatever. And in the process of restoration, one of the questions that he and I constantly come back to is this one word, which is Repentance. Because repentance really identifies the heart. So if you messed up, are you sorry you got caught messing up? Or are you sorry that before God you messed up? And I believe for many of us, our greatest fear isn't, that know, isn't knowing that we're going to stand before God one day, taking an account for all the things in our life. Our greatest fear is someone finding out about the things in our life that we're scared of. And what, what Peter's speaking to here. And what we talk about with, with myself and the conversation Pastor Nan and I were having the other day, uh, the Bible, and I, and I can't recall where it says it right now, but it says that 
godly sorrow leads to repentance. When you've grieved the heart of God and you know you messed up, and that, that weight on your shoulders of knowing you, you love God so much, but you kind of feel like you let him down because you messed up, and you, you look back and you go, God, I don't ever want to do that again. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. It leads you to a place of saying, God, I'm turning away from that. I'm going in a different direction. I don't want it a part of my life. But worldly sorrow, which is not knowing that God saw you, but knowing that the world just saw you and being grieving because the world just busted you, it leads to death. Because you're more worried about what the world thinks than what God thinks. And what Peter is talking about with Simon, he's saying you need to repent not just of your actions, but of the thing that's behind your actions, your heart. That thing that you want, that you hadn't even said out loud, you want to be famous, you want to be known, and you're looking to use the power of God to be both. That intent, that's what God needs to deal with. And for us, it can be any number of things, but we need to allow God to search the intent of our heart, to call us to something higher and repent of the things that are constantly holding us down to make us look worldly. Let's keep going. Verses 26, we pick up, and this is going to be a long read, okay? Because we're going to roll all the way through the end of the chapter. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was uh, returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And y'all have been reading your Bible and been like, what does this mean? I don't even know what this means. What are all these names? He's asking him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? That's how some of y'all felt reading the Bible. Someone tell me what this means. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. He opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Man, talk about an alley-oop. You know what I mean? Like, what are they talking about here? It's like, <laughs> anyways, sorry. I know y'all may not get that giddy about this kind of stuff. If someone were to be like, hey, like, what's this, pro- what's this talking about? The prophet Isaiah or Ezekiel, like, who is the one that's coming? It's like, oh, brother, sit down. Let's die in a while. You know what I mean? So, anyways. Then Philip opened his mouth, and then beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? I love that. You don't even know what the water is. You don't, we don't know what the temperature is. We know it's hot. It's a desert. Like, we, don't, we know nothing, right? And so, like, this could be Bayou Tahar for all we know. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm not getting baptized in Bayou Tahar. I don't know if, if y'all know that or not, but, like, there's some other stuff in that water. Anyway, so doesn't care, though. 
Like, grab a hold of this reality, and whoever's coming to do the thing that they do when I get done with this can go ahead and come up here. But, um, but like, grab a hold of this reality. This is crazy. He's like, he's so captivated. They're going down the road, and he's like, I don't want to wait till, like, baptism Sunday. Not, I don't, not that they had that back then. Anyways, but, like, he was so captivated. Like, right now, I want, like... We can, we can read into this eunuch's mentality and his framework and his words. When he looked at it, he's like, see, here is water. Right? What prevents me from being baptized? Right? And so what do we see? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down on the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he, was, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Now, I do have to pause right there because they really made it sound like that wasn't a big deal. <laughs> like the eunuch picks his head up, gone. And he's like, well, that's crazy. <laughs> and he gets in the chariot and he rides away. Y'all know me. I'm, like, I'm looking under rocks. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what is, where did, you know, where did this guy go? But apparently that was not as uncommon for, I don't know. I don't know. He wasn't as bothered by it. There's some stuff in this book. Y'all got to read it. Okay. So he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I think the, the beautiful part here that we can grab out of this little snippet with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is that, um, you know, God did go out of his way to veil the gospel. Matter of fact, it says it in Corinthians, that the gospel is veiled to unbelievers. They can't see what we've seen. So I want to give you confidence for a second. If you're one of those people in here where you have been uncertain of your salvation experience. Man, did God really love me? Did he, did he really save me? I don't really know. I'm navigating all of those things. Hear me for a second. If you can see, if you can hear, see, and understand the gospel and your need for it, like you were far from God and he came after you. Your sin separated you, but Jesus bridged the gap. And because of his life, his death, his resurrection, he paid the price for you. Because of all of those things, he's given you access back to God. If you can see it, if you can hear it, if you can understand it, that means the veil has been lifted and the gospel is real to you. And there's so much great power in that because I believe for so many people that the reason they don't walk in power, like we were talking about earlier, is because they doubt the experience that they had. I don't know if it's real, like it's God, I don't know, and the thing, and I mess up, and, I'm, and I do these things, and I don't want to do these things, but I keep doing them. What does that sound like, Paul? Where he said in his letters, I wake up and I find myself doing the things I don't want to do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. But it, man, for some of you, I pray that you find great confidence in belonging to a group of people who don't have it all figured out, but are trusting wholeheartedly in a God who's got it all figured out. I pray that in your shortcomings, 
You don't get enamored by what you're not, but you are astounded by who God is. And that just like we see here that we have great confidence that our veil has been removed (laughs) and that God himself has revealed himself and our need for Jesus to us. And so we should, with great confidence, boast in who Jesus is and what God has done to come after us. And that should also lead us to pray for those whom the veil has yet to be lifted for. Because it's not, those people are not waiting for someone who can pursue a better argument to convince them that God exists. We need God to lift the veil from their faces so that they can see Christ clearly and that we can present to them the hope of the gospel and their life can be transformed. And so be both shocked in awe of the love and grace that God has for you, but also in passionate pursuit of the mission, the message that he's entrusted you and I with, that outside these walls, there are people that need what we have. Let's take it. Let's give them this hope. Let's have this joy. In seasons of uncertainty, let our words be those that drive people towards God not cause them to be more blinded by what's going on in the world. They're not ignorant of what's happening out there. If anything, they're ignorant of how God is still in control. And we need to help shift their focus so they can see who God is and the message and the mission that we're all on. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand all across your time. I want to pray for you that you would take hold of that mission, take hold of the message, and that you would have confidence to be the one that when you walk in the room, things change because you brought God with you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for what you're doing and how you're leading us, how you're guiding us, how You are our source of strength and courage and joy and peace. So God, I pray that you help that our minds stay fixed on you. I pray that you help lead us and guide us. And I pray, God, first and foremost, we thank you that you have removed the veil over our face, that we can see you clearly. And then God, we pray right now that you help use us to be messengers the hope of the gospel to reveal to others who Jesus is. So we thank you tonight and we love you because you're so good. You're amazing. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, you guys, how many of you love Jesus tonight? Let's put our hands together one time. All right. Before you leave, wave at a few people, find someone you don't know, introduce yourself uh, with some proper distancing, and we'll see you guys on Sunday.